I've just got a real privilege uh, to introduce the person who's going to introduce our speaker. How's that? To introduce the introducer. He's one of my heroes. He's one of my close friends. I'm going to ask Brian Newman to come up right now. Uh, He grew up Jewish in New York City. Really Long Island, I guess. He grew up as a New York Yankees fan. So how in the world does that all work? You know, I just, you know, a Christian New York Yankees fan. I, those two just don't go together in my mind, you know. And so, uh, no, Mariana Rivera, I guess. And we can mention others. So grew up Jewish in New York City. Comes to Cortland State. Uh, comes to Christ through Campus Crusade for Christ. That was the real influence in his life. Starts going to Homer Baptist, this little country church where I pastored before I came here. And and we sent him out uh, as a church, as a missionary at the age of 22. So I came there as a pastor at 24, but then we sent you out as a missionary at the age of 22. He becomes a leader in the church planting movement of contemporary churches across Europe, eventually becomes the pastor of the Crossroads Church in Amsterdam that had over a thousand people. We're talking a church in Amsterdam with over a thousand people. That's like a church in America of over 10,000 people to be over a thousand people in Amsterdam. He's now with the Crescent Project, which brings him uh, with us uh, here today. Would you give a warm PFP welcome to Brian uh, Newman as he comes to say? Good morning, everyone. It is great to be here. Thank you for your warm welcome. This is uh, sort of a meeting of worlds for me with uh, knowing Glenn and Kimberly for all these years and Really, Homer Baptist Church did indeed uh, send me out as a missionary uh, a bunch of years ago, more than a few years ago now, and uh, it's been quite a journey, and Glenn and Kimberly and we have kept in in close contact, and last five years, I have been on this journey to begin to to reach out to Muslims. I know, it's sort of like the beginning of a joke, you know, there's this Jewish kid from Long Island, and he's reaching out to Muslims, and you go, what's going on? Well, here's an even funnier one. Uh, Two years ago, I joined Crescent Project, and this Jewish kid from Long Island starts to work with this Lebanese Arab guy named Fouad Masri. And as Fouad will tell you, it took me a little while to figure out his, how to say his name correctly. So I wanted to call him Fred, but I knew that wasn't right. And so uh, his name's Fouad. And so uh, here's this Lebanese Arab guy and this Jewish guy from Long Island, and we do ministry together. And where else in the world would this ever happen than in the kingdom of God? And what Jesus does in our lives. And so it is just a privilege for me to introduce to you Fouad. Uh, Fouad and Lisa live in Indianapolis. 20 years ago, God put it on Fouad's heart to start a group called Crescent Project. And he'll tell you a little bit more about Crescent Project. But our core vision and heart and passion is to train Christians to reach out to Muslims with the love of Christ. Because we have a hope that is worth sharing with the 1.5 billion Muslims in the world. And so it is just a great privilege uh, for me to introduce uh, Fouad Masri. So if you'll welcome them. Thanks, Brian. Give you a hug. Good morning, church. It's great to be in worship today. I love coming to worship in church. And many times people say, why are you Christians so happy? Why are you saying we are happy because we found the Savior Jesus who cures us from sin. What you saw today, a Jewish background person, an Arab background person, love Jesus and now they can love each other. Love Jesus and they can work together. They love Jesus, they can work together to reach someone else. So thank you, Pastor Glenn, for letting me come and share. Thanks, Brian, for introducing 
uh, and using me, and we're going to talk a little bit about what is God talking to us today as we look at our planet, as we look at the situation in the Muslim world or even next door, what is God speaking to us? Our first slide we're going to see is it talks about Crescent Project. Crescent is a new beginning. It's a new month. So we believe that Muslims deserve a new beginning, a new beginning with Jesus. And our tagline is hope worth sharing. Our hope, Jesus, who changed my heart, who changed Brian's heart, who changed Pastor Glenn's heart, who changed your heart. If you are a believer in Jesus today, who changed your heart, can change the hearts of Muslims and give them a new beginning, a new hope with, uh, with Christ. So we, that's our ministry. We started 20 years ago. And God has uh, been using Crescent Project to partner with the church. We want to lock arms with Christians to cross the street and to cross the ocean and tell Muslims about the love of Jesus. The next slide will show you the Arabic calligraphy of John chapter 10, verse 10. Many times people say, why do you want to share the gospel with Muslims? Why do we want the church to help? Well, Jesus says, I have come that they might have life and have it more abundantly. Jesus, our Messiah, our leader, our Savior, said 2,000 years ago, I have come that they might have life and have it more abundantly. This is not about a club. This is not about a training. It's not about our even church. It's about Jesus who told us to go and tell people that he has come that they might have life and have it more abundantly. This verse meant more to me on September 11 because I had heard about the attacks when I was in high school. I just didn't think anybody would be able to get away with it. So I was on a missions committee meeting. It was a Tuesday morning. And they told us, come see the monitor. I never saw the first plane hit. Then they said, there's a second plane. And I saw it hit the building. Then a third plane. Then a fourth plane. And the verse that came to me, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come that they might have life and have it more abundantly. My brother and my sister, what you saw on that day is a result of sin, a result of hate. But Jesus says, even when the thief does that, we have a different stand. Our stand is we want to tell people about Jesus who came to save people from sin. Next slide will show you the city I grew up in. You know, it's the 21st century, so we have to use PowerPoint. Um, I grew up five blocks from the seashore. This is the city of Beirut, about a million and a half people. Not a lot of people live in Beirut compared to California. And the whole country, you can see it in the inset there, the whole country is the size of Connecticut. It's not a big country, but we make a lot of noise, so everybody hears about us. We're back in the news, by the way. My dad is Lebanese and my mom is Syrian, so you can say I've been a hostage all my life. (laughs) My, My mom doesn't like that joke. I don't know why. But God uh, used the word in Lebanon to uh, use the word in Lebanon to bring me to Christ. But my name is Fouad. Some people can't say Fouad. My wife uh, and I have married a blonde American. Uh, we met at a hijacking. Uh, good morning. No, we did not meet at a hijacking. We met at church. And the first, we've been married 21 years. Oh, praise the Lord for my wife. She just texts me. She's praying for us. But the first three years of our married life, my wife called me honey. So I said to her, why do you call me honey? She said, I can't say your name. So, this morning, don't call me honey. That's from my wife, Lisa. Fod, sounds like quad with an F. Fod means loving heart, spiritual heart. So, guys, when you give a rose to your girl, say, this is from my Fod, from my loving heart. 
But I was born uh, and raised in the country of Lebanon. The war started April 13, 1975. I was not even uh, 14 years old, 13 years old. And the war started. Yasser Arafat would pass behind my house every night at 9 o'clock going to the fighting lines. And the war started and people started dying left and right. And car bombs will be placed and, and uh, exploding next to our neighborhoods and next to our schools. And I hated the Palestinians because my best friend, Walid, at age 18, he was on a Saturday morning, 9 o'clock, walking, smoking a cigarette, and a bombing by the PLO, by the Palestinians, killed him. So I hated the Palestinian people. The second people I hated were the Israelis. The Israeli jets will fly over Lebanon. My mom is Syrian, so I have second cousins and cousins who fought on the Golan Heights. So I hated the Israelis. And my solution for the Middle East crisis was to take Israelis and Palestinians to a desert like Arizona, let them fight there, and whoever wins, give him the piece of land. <laughs> but sadly, that's not, heart, that's not the heart of Jesus. And you know what's so sad? I, my bachelor's degree is in mass communication. My master's is in Islamic studies right here up the road in Pasadena from Fuller Seminary. But I know my bachelor's degree is in communications and media. I know that the media in America can do better. I only get 90 seconds on the war in Iraq. 90 seconds on the war in Syria. 90 seconds on Egypt. I get five minutes commercials. Yeah, buy our shampoo, you know. <laughs> but I get 90 seconds. And sadly, many times, Americans, you put in this cocoon. You don't know how bad it is it could be to have a civil war. The car bombs is a very, very uh, mental torture. The car bombs, they usually take a Cadillac or a Mercedes or a Honda, any car. They pull the upholstery, they put dynamite, and then put bags of nails. So when it explodes, stuff is flying. And then we put a timer, 6 in the morning, 7 in the morning, 12 noon, 3 in the afternoon. They place it in strategic areas. One time there was a car bomb, and, you know, that killed students, 110 students, ages 10 and younger. So you don't know which one's going to blow up. This car, this car, it's mental torture. So during the war in Lebanon, I decided to become an atheist. I said, if God exists, he's a bad God, so I don't want to believe in God. But a friend asked me, Fahad, if you die tomorrow, where do you go? I said, I don't care. I don't believe in God. He said, well, that's too late. Yeah, he's right. Whoops. What if God does exist? There's one guarantee on this planet. One guarantee. Everybody will die. Whether you invented Xbox or you live in Colorado. Whether you're in Beirut or India or Europe or Costa Rica or Canada. Everybody will die. And you can't take it with you. That bumper sticker that says the one with the most toys wins. Wins nothing. He can't take any of these toys. So I decided to become an agnostic. Is there a God? I don't know. <laughs> Is there a heaven? I don't know. You know, the agnostic answer is, I don't know. So I was three months in that period, like a, like a boat being tossed with waves. So I decided to study all religions. And what hit me is the life of Jesus, the Messiah. Jesus, the Messiah, the way he says things. Love your neighbor as yourself. Do unto others what you want to do unto you. Love your Enemies. Wow. I think United Nations should hear that. Oh, I think Syria should hear that. 
Love your enemies. Well, maybe America needs to hear that. Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Do not repay evil with evil, but repay evil with good. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd because I lay my life for the sheep. Oh, I want to follow that shepherd. And Jesus says, I no longer call you slaves because a slave does not know what the master is doing. I call you friends. The Bible is the only book that says you and I can be the friends of Jesus. But that information was here in the mind. How did it come to the heart? The Bible says we need to worship God with all our mind. That's your logic. That's your intellect. But then the Bible says we have to worship God with all our heart. What does that mean? Your heart is where your will is. You don't tell your wife, honey, I love you with all my mind. She'd say, thanks. That's cute. No, you tell her, I love you from all my heart. You're my one and only. What Jesus is asking us, not only to know about him, and many times, many people are there, they know about Jesus, but they haven't surrendered their will. Now, for me, this is what happened. I knew that Jesus is different. When you read this, the, the, the text on the Last Supper, Jesus washed the feet of his disciples, including Judas Iscariot, knowing he's going to betray him. If you read the text with our cultural eyes, Middle Eastern eyes, three times our Lord offered reconciliation for Judas, and he refused. That's why Jesus says to him, whatever you'll do, do it quickly. We have family friends. They have four children. The youngest is a two-year-old son, and they were eating dinner, and the two-year-old son spilled milk. So the father picks up the son, goes to the bathroom to wash his hand, and the mortar shell, usually this big, comes through the balcony door, explodes in the middle of the table. The wife and three other kids just pieces on the walls. And the man survives with his two-year-old son, picks up a plastic bag, picks up the pieces, and buries his whole family in one bag. And that was the trigger for me to move the information from the mind to the heart. The problem in Lebanon was not weapons. Weapons don't kill people. People kill people. We've killed each other with sticks and stones and cannons. And now we have weapons of mass destruction. And we just had in Syria the worst chemical attack in a hundred years. And people are still talking about the weapon. It is not the weapon. We raise our children to hate each other. That's the problem. It's the heart of humans. Sure, you can collect any weapons you want. They just had another massacre last week in Syria. The problem is not the weapon. The weapons will change. The thing that stays constant is hate. And the problem in Lebanon was me. I had hate. I hated Palestinians. I hated Jewish people. So I walked to my room, closed the door, and knelt by my bed. And this is what I prayed. I said, Lord Jesus, when you came to earth, you healed the sick and you raised the dead. Forgive me that I hate people. Forgive me that I have anger. The more there's war in Lebanon, I want to be a soldier of peace. The more there's hate in Lebanon, I want to be a soldier of love. You changed my heart. And God changed my heart. I started praying for the Israeli people. I started praying for the Palestinians. The church I grew up in is five blocks from the seashore. We had a weekly meeting. That prayed for Muhammad Gaddafi, Yasser Arafat, Saddam Hussein, Menachem Begin. Why? Because when you are a follower of Jesus, when you are a committed Christian, you don't see people by race. You don't see people by education. You don't see people by their net worth. You see them as God's creation. And they need to hear that Jesus says, I have come that they might have life and have it more abundantly. This is the message we're bringing. Hallelujah. I mean, yes. 
This is the message we're bringing. Now, the Lebanon is in the heart of what we call the 1040 window. So next, next slide will show you. We started, I started witnessing to people, and I, I want to show you this because there's a lie today that everybody has chosen the religion. And that is not true. The 1040 window is a name we give to these countries between the degree, 10 degree and 40 degree. But it represents countries where the Bible is illegal. The Bible is banned. If you are born in these countries, the chances of you seeing a page of the New Testament is zero. This is my personal Bible. It's Arabic Bible. You're welcome at the break between services to come see it. But this book, this Bible is banned. It's illegal in Morocco, Algeria, Tunisia, Libya, Sudan, Saudi Arabia, Yemen, Oman. 1.5 billion Muslims have never seen a page of the New Testament. Never heard that Jesus says, love your neighbor. Never heard that Jesus said, anyone who commits sin is a slave of sin. But if the son sets you free, you are free indeed. They never heard that. It's the 21st century. I can walk to any bookstore. I can get the Quran, the holy book of Islam. Yet the Bible is banned. So they never see the word. They never hear what Jesus said. Second, they're imams. The Quran mentions Jesus and mentions Muhammad. But the Quran never says what, the, what Jesus taught. All the teachings are in the New Testament and they never see that. And then on top of it, the imams don't read the Bible. So what do they teach their people? Most Muslims today are taught that Jesus was born under a palm tree. No, it was a manger. There were shepherds and there were kings and they gave three presents. What were the presents? Gold, frankincense, myrrh. Why? There's an important thing in there. They don't know the story. We do mission trips. One year we were in southern Spain. We had a table with Arabic Bibles. And as Muslims come from North Africa, we say to them, Assalamu alaikum. And they'll answer, Alaikum salam. We say, We'd like a copy of the book of Jesus. Would you like to get a copy of the Bible? And if they take it, great. If they say no, we, we show always respect and we thank him. Well, one day the table was next to the curb and this car slows down and the driver had a bushy beard down to his second button. Which means he's devout. So he rolls the window. I say, Assalamu alaikum. I say, Wa alaikum assalam. I said to him, Sir, we're giving the book of Jesus, Al Injil, the New Testament. He looks at me and goes, I am the Imam of Amsterdam. I guess he's a Moroccan who moved to Amsterdam. I said to him, Nice meeting you. He said to me, Have you read the Quran? I said, Yes, 15 times. He goes, In Arabic? I said, Yeah, in Arabic. Why? I, do I look French to you? I'm an Arab. So he chuckles, he says, I've read the Quran four times. I've never read the Bible. Give me the Bible, I'll read it. I said, sure, sir, here's a gift. So when Muslims ask you about Jesus, you can tell them what Jesus taught. He drove away and I'm thinking, I am an evangelical minister. I've read the Quran 15 times. Now it's 16 times. He's the imam of the mosque. He's never read the book of Jesus. So when Muslims ask him about Jesus, what does he tell him about Jesus? Nothing. He's never read the book. He's never heard the words of Christ. And the struggle is not only they don't see it, there's their leaders don't know it. And thirdly, the window on Christians, the window on America, the window on the West is movies and television. So my first trip to Morocco, I've been to Morocco four times. Beautiful country. I love Moroccans. Moroccans are beautiful people, very hospitable. But I'm sitting in the train and the guy hears me speak in Arabic. And he says to me, are you an Arab? I said, yeah, but I live in the United States of America. So he says to me, America, America is a bad country. I said, America is a bad country? He said, yes, they're uneducated, illiterate, and bunch of cow herders. I think he meant cowboys. 
So I said to him, uh, have you been to America? He goes, no. I said to him, where do you get your information? He goes, I watch movies. I'm not sure, is he watching Clint Eastwood? And, uh, <laughs> I mean, on the Western movies. So, but he thinks we're all a bunch of cow herders. So I said to him, sir, there are more than 2,000 mosques in America. He goes, is Islam allowed to worship in America? I said, yeah, America allows Muslims to practice their faith. He said, it's illegal to be Christian in Morocco. He's right. It's the 21st century. It's illegal to practice your faith in the country of America, as a, uh, of Morocco, as a Christian. And this is what's going on. One, they don't read the Bible. They don't see it. Two, the leaders don't read the Bible and explain to them what we believe. Three, who's representing us? The movies. And that's the struggle. So there's anger. There's walls. There's frustration. They don't know what we believe. On top of it, we don't know what they're dealing with. The next slide will show you a ratio. For every million Muslims today, we have only 2.3 workers among them. So most people tell you Muslims are hard. They're not hard. They're easiest to talk to about Christ. I was in Grand Rapids, Michigan last Sunday preaching. I'm driving. I got to stop, get my coffee at Starbucks. I walk in. There's an Algerian and Jordanian. They look like my cousins. So I have to talk to them. I'm a a high eye person. I like to meet everybody. And my wife says to me, honey, in America, when we go to the elevator, we don't talk to anyone. We just turn around and count the numbers. I can't do that. I got to meet everybody, shake hands in the elevator. So I walk in, meet with them. We had a great conversation. They took two books on, is the Bible corrupted or not? We had a great conversation. Muslims are open. Muslims are hungry. But we don't have enough people to tell them. The next slide will show you the number of Muslims in America. There's 7 million Muslims who become our neighbors. Every red dot represents a mosque. 7 million come from Saudi Arabia, from Yemen, from Uzbekistan, from Kazakhstan, from Albania. From Libya, from Tunisia, from Egypt, from Sudan. They're right near, next door. And they speak English now. They want to learn English. One of the young ladies, 16-year-old lady, took our training, Bridges, Christians connecting with Muslims. And she found that there's an Egyptian family in her neighborhood. So she knocked at the door, introduced herself, and the mom and the daughter invited her in. And they, the Egyptians are very hospitable people. So they're having Egyptian tea, Egyptian chai. And as they're having tea, the mom says to her, you are a nice American. She says, thank you. She said, we've lived in this house for six years. You're the first American. They lived in that house for six years. She's the first American. Seven million have become our neighbors. Who will be able to tell them? Who will tell them that Jesus loves them? The next slide is what God is telling us to look at our word today. If you have your Bible on iPhone, that's okay to use it. My theology allows me to do that. So if you have the Bible, you're welcome to go to Luke chapter 5. Also, with our technology, we've printed for you the text right here. And it's going to be on the screen. Our word today is paralyzed. Our word is paralyzed socially, spiritually, politically. And if you don't believe me, look at Washington, D.C. If you don't believe me, watch the news. Look beyond the news. We have a deeper issue. It is not about politics. Politics will always change. The problem is the heart of the human person. So what is Jesus telling us today? Luke chapter 5, verse 17 to verse 26. One day, Jesus was teaching, and the Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there. They had come from every village of Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick. Some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a mat and tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. 
When they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and lowered him on his mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd right in front of Jesus. When Jesus saw their faith, when Jesus saw their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law began thinking to themselves, who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Jesus knew what they were thinking and asked, Why are you thinking these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk? Which is easier? Say, your sins are forgiven, or say, get up and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. Immediately, he stood up in front of them took what he had been lying on and went home praising God. Everyone was amazed and gave praise to God. They were filled with awe and said, we have seen remarkable things. This is a beautiful story about the life of our Messiah. It's a simple story. Four guys, we know at least there were four guys because they each had to catch a corner of that bed. But that four guys had a friend who was paralyzed and they told him, you need to see Jesus. He is so paralyzed, he cannot walk to see Jesus. So they carried him, they get to the house, and he cannot get in. And my grandma had a house like on those days. We still built in the towns. Sometimes they build a little bit similar. They used to build the house with limestone. And then the, the ceiling would be beams of wood, thick beams. And then they crisscross them with smaller beams all the way till it's very, you know, like a, um, like a weave together, and then they put dirt, and if you had enough money, you put tile. So these friends did not want anything to stop them. They had intentional focus. Their focus was, get our paralyzed man to Jesus. So the one on the roof took the tile, took the dirt, took the branches, and lowered him. Now look at the text, beautiful text. It, Jesus says in verse 20, sometimes we skip too quickly. Look at the text. It says, when Jesus saw... Their faith. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the God, your sins are forgiven. And my brother and my sister, our challenge today, do you have faith God can use you? Do you have faith God can change your home, your church, your city, your country, our planet? Do you believe that? Because Jesus will act when we say we have faith in you. And Jesus says here, when he saw their faith, he said to them, your sins are forgiven. Our planet doesn't need more education. Education has not really helped. The more educated, the more weapons we've invented. Like the nuclear bomb and the atomic bomb. I'm sorry, the neutron bomb and the atomic bomb and the hydrogen bomb and the chemical weapons. These were invented by people who were very well educated. So education doesn't really help. Money? (laughs) Oh, we have a lot of money, but it's not working. The people with the most money sometimes are the, (laughs) the saddest people. And if you don't believe me, look at the Hollywood stars. They got all the looks and they got all the money and they can't stay married. They can't stay married. Wow. People say, oh, money solves everything. Really? A lot of people. Some people say politics will help if we vote to the right person. Really? Look at our planet. We've had all systems from communism to democracy to republics. It doesn't work. The constitution doesn't work if people have sin removed from their heart. 
That's why Jesus says, if you commit sin, you're a slave for sin. But if the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. My, my brother and my sister, today our planet needs the Savior. We are paralyzed and we need to bring him to Jesus. Now Jesus says that and the Pharisee says, how can you say that? And Christ asks a very important question. Which is easier? To say your sins are forgiven and do nothing? Just, hey, your sins are forgiven, carry him out. Or to say, get up and walk. If Jesus is a prophet, if Jesus believes in God, he cannot say get up and walk when he just committed blasphemy. So which one easier? To say go, your friends are forgiven, that's blasphemy. God will strike you. To say get up and walk, that's a miracle. You need the power of God. They're both hard. But then Jesus says, so you may know that the son of man, he didn't say the son of God here. He says son of man, which is in Aramaic, Bar Nash, which is a title of the Messiah from the book of Daniel. Every Jewish leader understood what Jesus is saying. So that you may know that the son of man has authority. I tell you, get up and walk. Today, what changed Brian's heart is Jesus. What changed my heart is Jesus. What changed Pastor Glenn's heart is Jesus. What changes your heart is Jesus. This is what we are presenting. We want people to come. Maybe as I'm preaching, the Lord is reminding you of someone in your family who is paralyzed and they need Jesus. Maybe someone in your neighborhood. Maybe someone in your work. Maybe someone in your school. Maybe, Maybe they're Muslim. Maybe they're not Muslim. But they're paralyzed with sin. Maybe today you've come to church and you're paralyzed with a problem or a situation or a question or an addiction or a distraction. My brother, my sister, bring it to Jesus. See, who make you get up and walk. Our Savior is different than anyone else. He said, come, come to me and I'll give you rest. Ask him this morning, what is the problem that you don't think Jesus can solve? But I love that Jesus will forgive us from sin and then gives us power, power. God gave me power to pray. God gave Brian power to pray. So we can pray for Arabs. We can pray for Israelis. And then Jesus gave us beautiful teachings that we can live our life by. Last slide I'm going to show you. And we'd love to end with some testimonies. In the last 10 years, more Muslims have become followers of Jesus than their previous 1,400 years. Number one reason they came to Christ, they met an authentic Christian. They met a practicing Christian. Number two, they read the Bible in their own language, whether it's Arabic or Farsi or Urdu. Three, they had a dream or a vision of Jesus. My friend Hossam al-Din, Hossam al-Din did 16 times pilgrimage to Mecca. How many times do you have to do it? Once. He did it 16 times. He'll be in Saudi Arabia. I'll drive up in the desert and say, Lord, where are you? Can I receive forgiveness for my sins? He was paralyzed with fear, with, with, with sins, with guilt. He was paralyzed with fear from judgment day. And a friend at work started sharing with him. And Hussam al-Din became a believer in Jesus. And he shares the gospel with his family. Haitham, very, uh, very fanatic Shiite. He was involved in a militant group. He comes on a, to go to, uh, on a vacation in Europe and somebody gives him a Bible. So he's reading the Bible. He gets the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus says, Blessed are the pure in spirit for they will see God. He said to me, I've never heard anything like this. A year later, he was baptized. He saw that he was paralyzed with anger, with paralyzed with hate, and Jesus set him free. 
Muhammad, Muhammad Sunni from Syria, walks down to the uh, five blocks from his home here in America and argues with the pastor every Sunday. He goes down, argues with the minister. Five years later, he became a believer. I said, Muhammad, why? He said to me, I could not get over how much the pastor and the church loved me. Even when I was disrespectful, they returned to me compassion and love. This is what we have. This is what we have. Abdullah, Sunni from Iraq. I was in the Midwest at a Bible study. They had Iraqis, Sudanese, Egyptians, Syrians, Lebanese. We're studying Luke chapter 5 in Arabic. Abdullah enters and I asked Abdullah after we read the text, can a prophet forgive sins? He said, no, only God can. I said, this means that Jesus is greater than a prophet. He says, Fuad, I've been reading the Bible for three months. This is my first time I meet Abdullah, but God has already working on Abdullah. Then he goes, Abdullah says, I believe that Jesus is the Savior. I said, would you like to take Jesus as Savior now? He said, yes, would you pray with me? Here's a man who was paralyzed with hate, paralyzed with fear, coming from the war in Iraq. Attends a Bible study and hears that Jesus can set him free. My brother, my sister, this morning my challenge to you is, will you bring people to Christ? Will you bring people to Christ? Will you be like these four men, these friends, who were intentional focus, who had a focus? There is no hope. There is no hope without a changed heart. Jesus says in Luke chapter 9, verse 62, no one puts hand to the plow and looks back. It's fit for the kingdom of God. You have to look forward. And everybody, when I talk to them, are reaching out, especially reaching out to Muslims. They say, oh, you remember the Boston bombing? I remember. But Jesus says, don't put your hand to the plow and look back. Oh, you remember September 11? Oh, yeah, I remember. But Jesus says, intentional focus. This verse means a lot. I would love to share a story. Uh, my son, when he was eight years old, uh, he played Little League. Uh, you know, I'm a Lebanese guy. We play soccer. We don't play baseball. So forgive me. I came to America. only learned that three strikes, you're out. <laughs> so my son joins Little League. And, you know, don't you like the Little ge- Leagues? They all have these nice names and, you know, hats and their outfits and uh, so my son joined Little League. My father-in-law used to coach baseball. So he sat behind me on the bleachers explaining the game. You know, help this Arab guy learn the baseball game. So uh, I learned you can steal second, which was great for Lebanese. Uh, <laughs> I just did, couldn't understand why I can't steal first. He kept, he kept saying you can't steal first. Why can't you steal first? Then I learned there's a double play, triple play, and the nice one, Grand Slam. Well, it's the World Series for the Little League. My, my son's team makes it. We're sitting there watching. My son comes up to bat, and the bases are loaded, and they're down. So he comes to, to swing the bat, and everybody, you know how Americans are. Hey, batter, batter, you know. You're going to miss it. You're going to miss it. Is he looking at the people who are trash-talking, as you see in America? No, he's watching the baseball. The other guy saying, hey, little buddy, you can do it. Is he looking at those guys who are encouraging him? No, he's watching the baseball, intentional focus. He knows where his dad and mom are sitting. Is he looking at us? No, 
Intentional focus. There's some girls texting and laughing. Is he looking at the girls? Intentional focus. The pitcher swung. I throw the ball. My son swung. He got a home run. The base is loaded. They won the game on one run. Made his dad proud. We're going to go to prayer today, right now. And the reason I'm sharing this story is, we are all up to bat. God is saying, intentional focus. There are people in your life, they need to hear about Jesus. They are penalized. They're not going to do it on their own. He asked you to tell them. Maybe you're here this morning, and you've never taken Jesus as your Savior. Please, I'm begging you as a brother. Please, take Jesus as your Savior. He's our only hope. But when we pray, I'm going to ask you this. Say, Jesus, tell me one thing I will do when I get out from this place. One thing. Maybe a Muslim you know that you're going to go talk to. Maybe you're going to take training. Maybe you're going to decide, I'm going to go on a mission trip. Maybe someone who's not a Muslim, but in your family, who really needs Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you because we can call you Abba because of Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for sending Christ to be born of the Virgin Mary to live a perfect life, to give us great teachings, die on the cross for our sins, and raise from the dead for our justification. Father God, we thank you for your Holy Spirit that ignites in us a love for others and a passion for Christ. Lord, we pray today that you bless this church, bless us as a congregation, bless the leadership. Father, fill us with your Holy Spirit. Ignite in us a passion for Jesus so that we will love Jesus more than toys and stuff and materials and money and positions. Lord, we pray that you give us love and compassion for people who have moved next door. Lord, we ask that you give us strength to cross the street and welcome Muslims and tell them about Christ. Jesus, you told us to bless and not to curse. Father, this morning we pray that you bless Muslims everywhere. Bless Muslim imams and kings. Bless Muslim fathers and Muslims and mothers. Lord, we pray that you bless Muslim children. Father, bless them with a true blessing of knowing Christ as Savior and Lord. In his name we pray. Amen. Let's thank Fawad for uh, being with us. Thank you.